Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome back. And uh, I, uh, I just love this man and what he does and his heart and his spirit. So nice to have back with us today, the Reverend Percy McRae. He's the, uh, himself a cancer survivor ordained minister. He's the national director of specialized outreach for the City of Hope. In addition to that, he oversees Our Journey of Hope, a nationwide cancer care ministry training and support program. He's also the host of Health and Hope and Inspiration podcast. And that is also where you go for the podcast, Health, Hope, and Inspiration.com. And of course, the other website is CancerCenter.com. Pastor McCray, good to see you, buddy. How are you? Hey, my friend, good to be with you today. Thank you, thank you. So um, October October is uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, why is this significant? Well, breast cancer is the most common cancer in women in the U.S., with the exception of skin cancers. Uh, it's about 30% or one in three of all new female cancers each year, about 297, almost 300,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer will be diagnosed with women. And of course, almost 44,000 women will die from this disease, according to the American Cancer Society. So uh, we need to be aware, we need to be vigilant, and we need to understand uh, that and so that we can look this in the eye and continue to move forward. Is that 44,000 a year? Yep, that is correct, sir. Whoa. Now, here's the good news, Perry. The converse side of that is this, that over the last 30 years, uh, the incident death rate of breast cancer has decreased by 43%. Okay. So we are seeing a precipitous drop. So we're moving in the right direction, but that number is still high. It's way too many. And we need to continue to do uh, what is necessary to talk about and bring awareness to this disease. Okay, because uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. The part of this is with the uh, decrease in the number, or at least the the able to um, treat breast cancer is becoming more and more significant. Great advances are being made, right? That is correct. You know, there's basically four big buckets of, of treatment for breast cancer, surgery, radiation, uh, chemotherapy, and in doctrine uh, therapy, which is basically anti-estrogen uh, uh, facilitation, because in many cases, not all cases, uh, breast cancer proliferation is driven by the hormone estrogen. So um, it's interesting. Uh, I have two shows coming out this month uh, on the 21st and the 28th, where I've interviewed a breast cancer surgeon and researcher. And we talk about all of this. And the big takeaway from both of those conversations is that there are constantly new advancements, techniques, technologies that are being applied to treatment of this disease every day. And so we can be excited and encouraged around that. And uh, it is my prayer. I am not a researcher. I am not a doctor that at, in, in our lifetime, potentially we may see hopefully a cure for cancer based upon uh, what's coming down the pipeline. That's great news. Let's let's deal with what you deal when somebody is given that diagnosis. Uh, uh, and by the way, uh, breast cancer is not um, restrictive to age. It can happen at any age, right? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the the median age of 
of diagnosis of breast cancer is about 62 years of age. But we are seeing younger people, younger women being diagnosed with breast cancer. And I believe the statistic is uh, under 42 uh, years of age now that um, that that number has increased a little bit. And there there are some other reasons for that. And so um, what is being recommended that the average age of women receiving um, going and having some assessment done is around 42, 40 to 42 years of age. Uh, but again, the good news is, is that the, the incident of death rate has dropped tremendously. And so we can be encouraged around that and about that. Uh, I don't know if there's an answer to this question, Pastor, but I'll ask you anyway. It, it, with these numbers that we're looking at and uh, the increase of it in some areas and yet at least the awareness of it, is this environmental? What, what do you think is behind this? You know, there, there, are, there are some research that that suggests that there can be some dynamics within our environment or uh, possibly our food chain uh but but what but some of the modifiable risk factors that that has been documented is understanding first of all your your family history and then of course obesity because fat cells contain estrogen and so the dynamic here is being able to be mindful of weight management uh, modifying our diets, uh, being active, exercise, and so on and so forth. But certainly we cannot uh, ignore the possibility of things in our environment that, 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 that are all around us. And we know our environment is contaminated uh, across the board, you know, and so there's, there's lots to be thought about with regard to that for sure. Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to single any one thing out. It's just that, uh, when you see the diagnosis going younger and younger, you got to ask yourself the question: What's going on here? You know. Um, so let's let's deal with what you deal with. When a young girl or a woman is diagnosed with this, and you brought into the picture, how do you begin to approach the situation? Well, historically, again, I'm going on my third decade of of being in this space and environment, and I I can't believe where the time has gone with regard to that. But at the end of the day, every cancer uh, engagement, if you will, from a spiritual care support perspective, or, or even from a family member perspective, could always start the same. And that is first allow that individual to unpack what they are thinking and feeling to you versus you coming in with a, a pre-inscribed idea of how you want this conversation to go. One of the Early lessons I've learned, Perry, fresh out of Bible college, you know, I would go into a patient room and I'd have my scriptures ready to go <laughs> and I'd have my little mini sermonette. Yeah. And, you know, and in many cases, patient would go to sleep because they're, you know, they're medicated, they're tired. Uh, and I found out early on that uh, the, the initial way to engage patients is to find out where they are located. Uh, find out what they are thinking and feeling, give them space and opportunity to unpack what is going on with them by asking very simple, open-ended questions. How do you feel today? Uh, you know, what did, has your doctor shared with you? Are you in the mood to have a conversation? And in many cases, cancer patients, if you give them permission to be honest with you, they'll tell you exactly what they're thinking and feeling if they believe that they can trust you with that information. So that diagnosis uh, is in itself a PTSD moment, isn't it? 
It is. You're, you're absolutely right on some level. And there's actually some research that has been documented to talk about the dynamic of PTSD, if you will, and cancer, cancer diagnosis, because what it does, and I believe the last time that you and I spoke, we kind of spoke about this a little bit. It's a touchy subject for people, but it's a necessary subject. And that is the mental health component of cancer patients, because I've been on that on the other side of that conversation. You know, four and a half years ago, I was told that I had a golf ball sized tumor uh, in my colon and it's a shock to your system. You know, you are not equipped or prepared to hear the words you have cancer. And so there is a mental moment that washes over you that can polarize you, paralyze you and certainly drive fear and anxiety and then from there, it's a matter of what type of coping skills uh, that you possess or you have access to and how you process through that that stress uh, that, that comes upon you uh, or that fear or that or that sense of cer- certain fear. I don't care who you are, uh, even the most ardent of believers that I've spoken to, pastors and ministers and leaders who said that initial shock took a minute for them to work through and to process and they needed to recalibrate and reset mm-hmm. in order to say, okay, all right, I'm, 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 I'm balanced now. I've got my equilibrium about me. What's the next set of steps? But everyone processes that differently uh, and in a different cadence. And some people slide into some states of depression that, that they need help to kind of come out of that in order to take some action steps and moving forward. Absolutely. All right. I want to take a break here, Pastor. But when I come back, there's a part of this that you and I've touched on in the past, but we really didn't get a little deep in it. And that is what advice would you have on the impact of a cancer diagnosis on a marriage? Because those of us who hear that our spouse has been diagnosed, we could really blow it if we don't know how to handle this. So let me take a quick break. There's a couple of websites, cancercenter.com and healthhopeinspiration.com for his podcast. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome back, and uh, so honored to have back with us today Reverend Percy McRae. He's a, uh, an amazing gentleman. He himself is a cancer survivor. He's an ordained minister, and he heads up the national directorship of the specialized outreach there with the City of Hope. He has a great podcast, and let me encourage you to check it out, Health, Hope, and Inspiration podcast. And then, of course, the cancercenter.com is the website. Pastor, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm playing off of something that uh, I remember about a year ago. A friend of mine's spouse was diagnosed with breast cancer. And my friend called me and said, Perry, he said, "Um, if you have any advice for me, I'm saying all the wrong things. (laughs) And I thought, well, first of all, uh, you need Pastor Percy. (laughs) I thought of you and I go, gosh. Uh, The only advice I gave him, and I'm not even beginning to know what you know about this. My only advice was um, stop giving advice and just ask questions and be there. But what do you say to a spouse 
uh, when their spouse has been diagnosed and how they should proceed forward? First of all, congratulations, my friend. You graduate from the Reverend Percy McRae School of Ministry for Cancer <laughs> Patients. First number one rule and never, ever break it is do less talking and more listening. Ask open-ended questions that will allow the cancer patient to unpack what they are thinking and what they are feeling. One of the biggest mistakes that we make because it's part of our the DNA of being Christians and believers and people of faith is that we're, we want to exhort. We want to we verbalize and give people a charge and, and encourage them and, and verbally spur them on. And there's a time and a place for that, obviously. But for many cancer patients, they often feel like that there is no one listening to them, that they don't have the space or opportunity to express what they are feeling based upon uh, what's going on with them. And so uh, and, and every husband, quite frankly, should have learned this lesson in his first four or five years of being married, is that in many <laughs> cases, your wife wants you to simply be a good listener of where he is located. Uh, and not so much be prepared to give her a reaction or a response or any type of action steps. And I've learned this as being a married man. There's oftentimes my wife would just talk to me, but she would just want me to listen. She wouldn't want me to take any action. She wanted me to absorb her energy, her feelings. And the same is true for cancer patients. And so in marriages and in, re in relationships, particularly, uh, and this can go either way for husbands or wives, is that we have to be careful of not wanting to give advice and say, this is what I think you should do, or this is what we're going to do. We first have to really get a strong sense of where they are located, what's going on in their psyche, and give them permission to honestly unpack maybe some emotions and feelings. I'll give you a great story. It was a husband and wife, the, the, the pastor, uh, the husband, uh, the wife had cancer, and uh, the wife called and made an appointment with me for her and her husband. I had never met her. And she said, Reverend McCray, I want you to have my husband sit down and tell him not to answer his telephone, not to respond to a page or a call. And I, and I want you to encourage him to tell him I want his 100% undivided attention while I'm here at the hospital. And he was stunned. He was shocked. He, did not, he was not prepared for what she was asking me to have him do. And it was all because, and in this particular context, she said, because everyone else always comes before me at the church right now, I need his undivided attention and I don't want him to counsel me. I don't even necessarily want him to pray with me. I want him to be available to hear me. And it's an important school of thought because we, we want to take action when we hear our loved ones with cancer. And so uh, don't run the risk of being an action oriented person before you are first a listening person oriented person yeah. hear what the cancer patient is saying yeah I, I ended up telling this guy close your toolbox there's no wrench or screwdriver in there that'll fix this <laughs> you know <'cause> yeah. that, <laughs> that's what we want to do so let me ask you this let's let's put the shoe on the other foot just for a moment so this guy felt helpless he wanted to do something but he he wanted he felt the pain but it was also impacting him personally I mean, two people become one. He is feeling it too. At that point, I didn't know what to do. 
Well, this is called caring for the caregivers, right? We've got to understand that in, in that equation, there, there's not just the cancer patient. To your point, there are two people who have been bound to each other in holy matrimony and love and commitment and so on and so forth. But there is also uh, a separate dynamic of mental, emotional and physical reverberation that is happening for the caregiver. And so in that equation, we must understand, and this is where friends and family members of the caregiver then comes into play, because what happens, and it's so appropriate that we're having this conversation during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but I've seen it on both, equa both sides of the fence. I've seen husbands and wives struggle with this, uh, wives whose husbands have prostate cancer, as an example, uh, because, again, there is an element of the physical intimacy dynamic that may be challenged if women uh, may have had their breast removed, as an example. There's a there's a physical shock to the system of visually what has happened mm. for her, for him. Uh, and so do they have an outlet? Do they have somewhere that they can go unpack what they're thinking, what they're feeling, that shock to their system, that PTSD that you mentioned? so that they can kind of uh, have a, somewhere to release what they're thinking. But they need to have a safe place to do that, Perry. See, they mm. can't just have that conversation with anyone mm -hmm. because, you know, one of the things that we do better than anyone else inside of the local church is that we judge each other. We can't be judgmental under those circumstances. We've got to allow people to really express their humanity at this moment. Men are, are visual creatures, right? So there, there can be a challenge there if something is happening with their, their significant other in terms of visually being compromised. So instead of judging and condemning that individual, does he have a safe outlet and a place to talk about, man, I'm struggling right now. You know, I'm not used to this. I don't know what to do with that. Or I don't know what to do with the washing machine. I don't know where the rent cycle is. Because in some cases now they have to take over chores at the house that they never did before. They need a safe place to be able to talk and unpack that with someone that can help, number one, shore them up, level them out, and then help provide possibly some, some, some action steps that can be taken to work through and move through that anxiety, that stress, that fear, mm. that if it's not expressed, if they have nowhere to, to vocalize that, what can happen is that then they can jettison. They'll yeah. just take off and leave. Yeah, I've seen that happen. Let me ask you this, uh, sticking with the initial reaction of the diagnosis, um, how do you put hope into what initially seems to be a hopeless situation? Well, this is going to shock you, and it's not going to be very biblical, and it's not going to be very scriptural, because I work within, and I say this proudly, within the halls of medicine and science every day, learn some data, get the statistics. Uh, I just shared some basic information with this audience today. First of all, how about the fact that in the last 30 years, the death rate of women being diagnosed with breast cancer has dropped 43%. Let's start there. That's good news. Right. So how we translate that is cancer is not necessarily a death sentence that maybe it was 30 years ago. There's new treatment options and possibilities of things. Robotic surgery for breast cancer. How about that for a concept? Less evasive. Uh, being able to possibly freeze a tumor versus having to be cut upon. 
So there is a lot of new things and information that we should be getting excited about. And when we know that, Mm. then we can encourage ourselves and we can encourage the one that is sitting there being told that information uh, that, you know, I I just uh, we had a very hot summer here in South Florida and I was down in the Florida Keys walking around. My wife bought me a a neck fan, a neck fan fan that was battery <laughs> operated and I and in the middle of you know 95% humidity I turned that thing on and it felt like I was sitting in my living room because of new technology and advancement well when we have that type of information in front of us and when we learn and share that we can encourage each other then we can build our theology into that that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world i can do all things through christ who strengthens me But that's not just necessarily a platitude, but now we have some associated data and facts and information to marry those two schools of thought together that is very powerful from an empowerment perspective. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, Let me step outside of the questioning here and ask just a little bit of a question to you personally, and that is um, you probably have been called in to talk to the situation or to a couple uh, because you're there, because you are the minister on the scene, and they normally would never call a person like you, but now they have. What do you say? First thing is, is you walk in the door, you introduce yourself, and you respectfully ask that person, what can I do for you today? I want everyone to hear me good. It's not, not deep. It's not theologically spooky. What can I do for you right now? And be quiet. Allow them to give you the marching orders. It's their bus. Let them drive it. Don't walk in and, 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 and think that you know what they need and want. Ask them, what do they need now? How can I help you at this moment? That begins the process of then cobbling together responses, uh, uh, things to say, but you have no idea what that person is thinking or feeling unless you ask them and unless you stop and give them permission to honestly give you a reaction. You start right there every time. I would assume, Pastor, that um, part of that processing would say they know that you're the, you're the chaplain, you've come in, you represent mm-hmm. religion, if I could put it that way. Sure. They, pro- they probably think, well, you can pray for me. Absolutely. But again, here's a principle. If you've not worked in this space before, uh, everyone is telling cancer patients what to do. Their doctor, their nutritionist, uh, their tests, their scans, every, they're, they're, being, they're being given directives. Do this, go here, yeah. stop that. We're flipping the script instead of walking in saying, well, can I pray for you? Or you ask them, find out where they're located. You'll be surprised. There are some patients who may not be in the mood to pray at that moment. Yeah, Not ready to pray. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So appreciate you. Thank you, brother. Let me just say to our viewers and listeners, check out the website, cancercenter.com and check out his uh, podcast, Health, Hope and Inspiration podcast with the Reverend Percy McRae. Uh, check all that out and um, pray for him. Pray for him. And the only thing I can say, brother, is um, make sure you're spiritually reproductive. We need about 6,000 of you out there. 
I'm doing my fair share. All right. <laughs> Love you, man. Take care. <laughs> Love you too. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.